did the choreography myself. Hey, honey, have you gained some weight in your rear end? The dress you wear reminds me of my old girlfriend. And where'd you get those shoes? I think they're pretty lame. Would you stop talking cuz I'm trying to watch the game? If you're a man who wants to live a long and happy life, these are the things you don't say to your wife. I planned a hunting trip next week on your birthday. I didn't ask you, but I knew it'd be okay. Go make some dinner while I watch this fishing show. I taped it over our old wedding video. If you're a man who's done that, a long and happy life, there's all the pursuits to Solo. Okay. Your cooking is okay, but not like mother makes. The diamond in the ring I bought you is a fake. Your eyes look puffy, dear. Are you feeling ill? Happy anniversary, I bought you a treadmill. <laughs> You're the man who wants to live long and happy love that too. These are the things you don't say to You're a man who doesn't want to get killed with a knife. These are the things you don't say to Well, good morning. <laughs> Our topic today is marriage and divorce. And men, you need to listen to what Tim Hawkins had to say so you stay married. Thought that would help you out this morning to begin things. Turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 10 this morning. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 12. It's on page 409. If you might be using one of the Bibles you uh, picked up when you came in this morning. Uh, we didn't just kind of choose this topic out of nowhere to talk about marriage and divorce. It's actually the topic that is contained in our passage today as we continue our verse-by-verse -verse study through the Gospel of Mark. We started in chapter 1, verse 1. We're working our way all the way uh, through. And so let's go ahead and read the passage that we're going to be looking at uh, this morning, verses 1 through 12, and then get into the message this morning. Chapter 10, verse 1 of Mark. Then Jesus arose from there, and he came to the region of Judea by the other side of the Jordan. And multitudes gathered to Jesus again, and as he was accustomed, he began to teach them. The Pharisees came and asked Jesus, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And what's it say next? Testing him. They were testing Jesus with this question. That's very key to the context of this passage. And Jesus answered and said to them, what did Moses command you? In other words, what does the Bible say? You know, that's the best answer to a question. What does the Bible say? Amen. That's what this church is all about. You know, what does the Bible say? He says, what, is, what did Moses command you? What's in the scriptures? And they said, well, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and to, and to dismiss her. And Jesus answered and said to them, because of the hardness of your heart, he wrote this precept. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. He says, this is God's original plan for marriage. He made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife. The two shall become one flesh, so they are no longer two but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. In the house, his disciples asked him again about this same matter, about marriage and divorce. And Jesus said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. 
And if a woman divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Wow. There's a passage to tackle. Now, those of you that were here last week, as we finished up chapter 9, you can just kind of scan back there, verses 42 to 48. We talked about hell. We talked about sin. And now we're talking about divorce. Isn't this great? <laughs> Welcome to the Orchard Church. This is why it's so important that we as a church are dedicated to verse-by-verse -verse teaching of the Bible. Because it, it forces us to teach the whole full counsel of God. We don't get to pick and choose and skip passages that are uncomfortable and we don't like. I can tell you guys, if it were up to me today, we would have just probably skipped this one. We would have went somewhere else. We would have chose a different topic. But because, and I think this is the, the main reason why you guys come to the Orchard Church. Because you want us to be true to the scriptures. Can I have an amen? amen. And so that's what we're going to continue to do today just like we have other, other weeks. Now listen, let me say this. I know... This is a very difficult passage. Believe me, I, I, I have lost sleep over preparing to teach this passage to you today. It's difficult. This is a very sensitive subject. For some of you just knowing this is what we're going to talk about, you probably wondered, should I come or not? Do I want to hear what's going to be said or not? I know this is very difficult. I know this is a very sensitive subject. And I want to approach this with as much sensitivity and grace as I possibly can this morning. Because the reality is, unfortunately today, 54% of marriages end in divorce. And it's no different for Christians than it is most of the world. And I know for people, especially that are believers, that go through divorce, sometimes they feel like I'm not welcome in the church anymore. I'm looked down on. I'm judged. Like I'm walking around with a big scarlet D. And we don't want anybody to feel that way. And we want to be very sensitive in our approach. And you know, this is a huge subject that we could quite honestly spend weeks talking about, going through all the scriptures. And there are several legitimate approaches to the subject of marriage and divorce we're going to talk about today. I could have taken one approach to say, you know, marriage is sacred, remember your vows, Jesus never encouraged divorce, so just don't do it. And we could make a strong biblical case for that. And I could take that approach. Another approach I could take this morning is to talk about God's love and his mercy and his grace and compassion. Especially for those of you who've gone through divorce. Maybe going through divorce. Maybe considering it. Maybe you've been hurt in your marriage. You, somebody's abandoned you. Somebody that made a promise to stay with you for life and they backed out on that promise. And, and we could talk about God's love and compassion to get you through that. We could talk about today and make a biblical case for those who have had an unbiblical divorce and maybe unbiblically remarried and, and challenge people to admit that and ask God to forgive them. There's lots of different approaches. There's so many questions when it comes to this subject of marriage and divorce. I mean, questions like, are there any justifiable reasons for divorce? If you get divorced... What about remarriage? When is it okay? When is it not? When is it okay in God's eyes? When is it not okay? And, and I want to tell you this morning, we, because we're going to try to do this in one week, we cannot be exhaustive and we cannot cover every situation and every scenario. I've heard hundreds and thousands of different scenarios and everybody has their own. There are as many different scenarios when it comes to marriage and divorce as there are couples. Can we agree? Say yes. So it can't be completely exhausted, but what I want to do is give you some handles this morning on this subject. As I 
see it in scripture, as I interpret it in scripture, seven principles on this subject. And I want to say, I want to bathe this whole message by saying this. I'm going to share with you what I believe, what I see are principles in scripture. You have to do what I encourage you to do every week. Take the word of God. Go search it for yourself. Pray about it. Ask God to lead and guide you. I, I'm not, I don't want to force what I believe about this on anyone. I want to just take you to the scriptures, give you some principles, and you decide for yourself. I'm going to tell you right now some of the things I'm going to share this morning. There are wonderful people, godly people, men of God, women of God, that would teach something different, would see it different, would interpret it different, and that's okay. I just have the responsibility of sharing, as your pastor, how I interpret it and what I see. You come to your own conclusion through prayer and the word of God. Amen? Is that fair enough? And so I, I don't want you to feel like I'm coming across dogmatic and saying, I know I'm right in this. Because the truth is, I don't, I don't know. I, I'm telling you what I see where I'm at. As a matter of fact, I've even changed some of my views and interpretations over the years, 20 years of being in full-time ministry. Some of the things that people told me I accepted as Bible, and I saw verses and said, wait, I don't see that. This is what I see. So, and I, I've spent hours getting ready for this. And days, and I want to share with you these things, these seven biblical principles. But the first thing I want to give you is kind of a key thought. If you don't get anything else today, I want you to walk out and be able to say this in your I want this to be stuck in your head like a song. Hopefully a good song. Don't you hate when a bad song gets stuck in your head? <laughs> Hopefully a good song. Here's what, I, here's what I, the heart of this message. Here's the key thought. God prefers the permanence of marriage over the pain of divorce. Can we agree with that? Say yes. No matter how you approach this subject. God prefers the permanence of marriage over the pain of divorce. Malachi chapter 2 verse 16 says this. Now, don't misinterpret this scripture. It's been misinterpreted by some people and mistaught. It says this. For the Lord God of Israel says he hates divorce. Notice it doesn't say he hates divorced people. He hates divorce. You know why God hates divorce? Because he loves you. He loves people and he knows the pain and agony that so many people have experienced by going through a marriage that goes through divorce and goes through pain and goes through suffering and he's trying to protect us from that and save us from that. And so God hates divorce but he loves people and he prefers the permanence of marriage over the pain of divorce. And I, I want to bathe this message in that key thought. And with that in mind, let me give you seven principles. First of all, number one, marriage is the sacred union between one man and one woman. And God's intention is for marriage to last a lifetime. That's what we just read here in Mark chapter 10. When he said, listen, here was God's original plan. One man, one woman for life. That's God's plan A. Can we agree with that? Say yes. And I think that's how most everyone enters marriage. I'm getting married to this person because I'm planning on and intending for it to last. And that's God's plan. And that's God's intention. And notice it's between one man and one woman. Listen, we cannot allow the world to redefine what God has already defined in the Bible. Marriage was not society's idea. It was not the world's idea. It was God's idea. He came up with it and he said it's one man, one woman. Not two men, not two women, not one man and several women or several women, whatever. It's one man, one woman for life. That is clear in scripture. Can we agree with that, church? That's clear. Okay? Was, now... Some of you guys, this is a really big thing that's going around right now. Um, I guess Truett Cathy, the owner and CEO of Chick-fil-A, 
recently in some interview came out and he said that. I believe that God's intention is uh, marriage to be one man, one woman. And so um, there's a group of people uh, in the, the homosexual community, I'll just say it. They have decided to attack Chick-fil-A for their stand, which this was one man's personal stand. And so they said they're telling the homosexual community to boycott Chick-fil-A on this coming Wednesday, August the 1st. Well, all of the people that want to support marriage between one man and one woman are planning to flood Chick-fil-A if it isn't already busy enough. Every time I go on the one in Brighton, I'm like, it's like, I can't find a seat. You know, that'd be a good business to open, Chick-fil-A. But, so they're saying, Christians and everybody believes in marriage, you know, go to Chick-fil-A on Wednesday. You know, and that's a cool thing if you choose to do this. But you know what might be a better idea than just going to Chick-fil-A one day? You know the best way that we can support God's original intent and plan for marriage is to make our marriages glorify and honor God and keep our marriages together. That will speak more to the world than anything else, amen? Showing God's original intent for marriage. And so let's keep that in mind. But... Principle number one is this sacred union between man and woman, and God's intent is it for it to be a life. Now, in Mark chapter 10, verse 2, our passage, the Pharisees came in verse 2, and they asked Jesus, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And they were testing him. They were trying to trap Jesus with their question. They didn't really want to know the answer. They wanted to try to trap him. You see, Judaism at this time all agreed that divorce was permissible in certain cases, and in some cases even required. But yet they're asking Jesus this question, is it okay or not? And, and they probably thought Jesus was going to be stricter on the subject. They probably thought he was going to say, no, never get divorced for any reason. They thought they would catch him and trick him. And as you're going to see in a moment, there were two different schools of thought. This was just as highly debated, marriage and divorce, in Jesus' day as it is today. And they're trying to trick him and trap him with his answer. Maybe they wanted to trick him and trap him just like John the Baptist. Remember when we started Mark? John the Baptist spoke out against the unbiblical divorce of Herod and his wife Herodias. Remember he liked his brother-in-law's wife better and so he left his wife to marry her. And John the Baptist spoke out against that. Said that's wrong, that's sin. And what did they do to John the Baptist? They cut his head off. They probably thought, you know, we might be able to get Herod to get upset with Jesus because they wanted to get rid of him. So they're trying to trap him with this question. But like a great teacher, the best teacher ever, Jesus answers this question with a question. And he says in verse 13, he answers and said, what did Moses command you? What does the scripture say? Now, Jesus then doesn't reject what Moses said, that he gave permission to give a bill of divorcement in certain cases, but rather he restates it, and he says in verse 5, and Jesus' answer said, because of the hardness of your heart, he wrote you that precept. He allowed you to do that. You see, back in that time during Moses, men could divorce their wives for any reason, for whatever. If they just got tired of them, they did something they didn't like. They liked another woman better. They could just, just leave them. They didn't even have to get a divorce. They'd just kick them out of their house, bring another one in. But then that woman was, you know, she couldn't get remarried if she didn't have an official divorce. And she would be destitute and just kind of left on the streets. So God did this to protect women. Moses, God's told Moses, write this divorce to protect the women so that they can get remarried and be taken care of and, and cared for in society. And so that was, the, that was the reason that God allowed for that back in Moses' time. Write the bill of divorce so she could be remarried. Divorce was a concession by Moses through God to man's abuse upon women. It was not a requirement. Moses makes a concession, but Genesis gives God intention, which is one man, one woman for life. You read that in verse 6 through 9 that we just read. I'll say it again, God prefers the permanence of marriage over the pain 
of divorce. And it's meant to protect us. The main thing that Jesus says here in this passage and throughout all the New Testament about marriage is stay married. Make it the best marriage you can. Try to avoid divorce. He never encouraged it. Because God's intention for marriage is till death do us part. And what's Jesus saying? He's just, he's just trying to encourage that. He's saying keep the marriage vow you've made. Now the Pharisees, they wanted to talk about reasons for divorce. Jesus wanted to talk about the sanctity of marriage. The Pharisees wanted to ask the question, when can marriages be broken? Jesus wanted to say why marriages shouldn't be broken. Yeah, I think it's important that we focus as much on all the scriptures about making marriages great and glorifying God as we do trying to find scriptures when it's okay to get out. Can we agree with that? Say yes. Let's, let's focus more on keeping them together and then, then how can we... Get out of one. And that's what Jesus is saying here. You know, that, that's like wanting to fly an airplane and focusing more on your crash landings than being a good pilot. That's what Jesus is doing here. Focus on having a great marriage. And, and whatever exceptions there might be, and there are some, I'll give you in a moment, for divorce, the main thing is that marriage is supposed to be permanent. That's what Jesus is saying because God prefers the permanence of marriage over the pain of divorce. Principle number two. Having said that, I don't believe that divorce is always sinful. Divorce is not always sinful. We can't look at divorced people and go, you've sinned. Is every divorce the product of someone's sin? Yes. But is every divorce sinful? No. Let me give you some examples that I see in Scripture. Do you remember the Christmas story? Mary and Joseph? They were engaged, and in that time, being engaged to someone in the Jewish culture was just like you were married, and to get out of it, you had to get a divorce. And you remember when Joseph found out that his bride-to-be was pregnant, he didn't know the whole story yet, that, that, that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit. He thought she had had sexual relations with some other man, and the Bible says because he was a righteous man, right with God, he was going to divorce her and put her away because of her sexual sin. And if that were true, he would have been okay in that, and right in that, and he was righteous for it. Because of the adultery. He wouldn't have been sinful in that. How many of you would agree that God does not and cannot sin? How many of you all agree with that? God does not and cannot sin. Well, to say that divorce is always a sin is to say God sins. You know why? Because God is divorced. And some of you all are like, what the heck are you talking about? Listen to this. Jeremiah 3.8. Then God says, I saw for all the causes for which backsliding Israel had committed, what? Adultery. I put her away and gave her a certificate of divorce. Did you know that scripturally and biblically right now, God's original plan and wife was the nation of Israel? But because of her spiritual adultery, he says, God himself in Jeremiah 3, 8 says, I gave her a certificate of divorcement. Guess who his new bride is now? It's us, the church. Now, one day, he's going to be reconciled during the tribulation. We learned that in Revelation to his wife, Israel. So listen, we can't say that divorce is always simple because God himself wrote a bill of divorcement for Israel. How many of y'all learned something new this morning? Say yes. Some of y'all about ready to run me off this stage. What the heck is he talking about? It's in there. If God can divorce his adulterous wife, Israel, then divorce must not always be wrong and sinful. And let me, let me just say this, and this is, this is what I believe. Marriage is dissolvable. It can end. Usually it shouldn't, 
but it can. Notice what uh, Jesus says in verse 9 of chapter 10. Therefore, what God has joined together, man cannot separate. Is that what he says? No, he says, let not man separate. In other words, it can be separated by man, but it shouldn't be. And so this is important because sometimes people, people argue, well, they were married, they got a divorce, they're thinking about marrying somebody else, and somebody will come along and say, well, they're still married in God's eyes. And this is what I believe on this. I believe divorce ends a marriage. They are no, you can't be married and divorced. And so I believe when someone is divorced, they are no longer married. Divorced couples are divorced. They are not married in God's eyes, is my belief. But again, God prefers the permanence of marriage over the pain of divorce. So in that situation, let's ask this question. When is a divorce then not considered sinful? If they're not always sinful, when are the cases biblically they're not considered wrong? Principle number three. Divorce is permitted, as I see it in Scripture, but not required on the ground of adultery. Divorce is permitted, but not required on the ground of adultery. Now, when the Pharisees were coming and Jesus quoted Moses back in the old, they, they, they quoted Moses and said, well, Moses told us we could write a bill of divorcement. They were referring to Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 1. This was when Moses gave the permission. And this is where the debate was all around how you interpret this passage. And it says this. When a man takes a wife and marries her, and it happens that she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some uncleanness in her. That's the key word, uncleanness. And he writes her a certificate of divorce, puts it in her hand, and sends her out of the house. So Moses gave this concession that when a man finds uncleanness in his wife, he could write a certificate of divorce. And the key debated word here was the word uncleanness. It's a very ambiguous word. There was a big argument among the Jews constantly, especially in Jesus' time, about what does that mean to be unclean? What makes a woman unclean and then it's okay to give her a bill of divorcement? That was the debate that they were asking Jesus the question about here in Mark. There were two different rabbinical schools of teaching and thought, rabbis interpretations of this scripture. This is really important to understand in this context. One was a very conservative view. It was the Shammai, Rabbi Shammai. His view was this. Only divorce could be permitted in cases of adultery. And that's what he believed, and that's what, what he taught Moses was talking about. You could only divorce in the case of adultery. Then there was another rabbi. His name was Hillel. He had a more liberal view. And he taught the Pharisees that they could divorce for basically any reason the man chose. I mean, if the wife burned the dinner, he didn't like the way she folded the laundry, he didn't like that green stuff she puts on her face before bed at night. I mean, he, for any reason, if there was another woman that he thought would make a better wife than his wife, he could write her a bill of divorce. They, they took great liberty with that uncleanness. And so there was this argument. And so when they come to Jesus and said, you know, when's it okay? They want to know which side are you going to take, the conservative side, only adultery, or the liberal side that man can divorce his wife. Now, now, which side do you think the Pharisees were on? They were on the liberal side. I mean, the, these men, it was all about them. Women were, were viewed so low at this time, and Jesus changed all that. And, and they, they want to decide, you know, with Hillel, and like, we, we can divorce anytime we want and get any wife that we want. Which side do you think Jesus took? Well, he took the biblical side. He took the, and he took the Shammai view that only in cases of adultery. We know that because Mark was not the only gospel. There's three others. Matthew, Mark, there's Luke, and John. 
And Matthew's account gives us a little more detail to what Jesus said in his response. Remember, Mark is the Reader's Digest gospel. It's the shortest. And there's a lot of things that Mark just goes, people already know that, and he leaves it out. Matthew, listen to what Matthew says of the very same account when these Pharisees questioned Jesus. Matthew 19, 3. The Pharisees also came to Jesus, testing him, he says the same thing, and saying to him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? A little more detail there. Didn't just say, can a man divorce his wife, but for any reason. They were asking, do you side with Hillel? Or do you side with Shammai, the liberal or the conservative? And then Jesus answered. And he adds a little more to it here that Ma Matthew gives us in Matthew 19, 9. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality. There's that exception clause. Except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. And whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery. He sided with the conservative view that you can't divorce your wife just for any reason. It has to at least be adultery. Now, that brings up the question, well, why did Mark leave that out? Well, one, as I already said, because of the Reader's Digest view, I think another reason Mark left it out was because in that Jewish culture and Judaism, they, it was very common and accepted that if someone committed adultery, they had biblical grounds for divorce. Back in that time, if you committed adultery, you know what they would do to you? They would stone you to death. So Mark probably didn't include it because it was just a given. He, he just like, everybody knows that. Because adultery, adultery breaks the marriage covenant. Sex is the oath signing of the marriage covenant. It consummates the marriage. One writer said it this way, having sexual relations with someone other than your spouse, spouse is like trying to sign on someone else's dotted line. Really good way he said that. Adultery is clearly a biblical grounds for divorce. It's not required but it is allowed. You know why it's not required? Even if you're in a marriage and someone commits adultery on you, today because of grace and forgiveness that we have experienced as Christians, it's not required. It's biblically okay to do it, but it's not required because God prefers the permanence of marriage over the pain of divorce. And I have seen married people, someone commit adultery, and, and the other spouse forgive them, seek counseling, reconciliation, and their marriage brings glory to God, and they kept it together. It can happen, amen? Not always, but it can. Some very dear friends of mine, this happened to them. The wife committed adultery, and her husband, he found out about it. They went to counseling. She, he, she wanted to keep the marriage together. He wanted to keep the marriage together. There was forgiveness, and what a testimony to God's grace. And their marriage, if you saw their marriage today, you would go, that's the kind of marriage I want. Adultery is forgivable. It is reconcilable. Number four, divorce is permitted but not required on the grounds of abandonment and or abuse, as I see it in Scripture. I believe divorce is also biblically permitted but not required on the grounds of abandonment and or abuse. Notice what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. If you want to learn a lot of stuff about marriage and divorce, you read that chapter. But let me give you just a, a little bit of it. Paul said, and a woman who has a husband who does not believe, if he is willing to live with her, let her not divorce him. If he wants to stay in the marriage, go ahead and stay because God prefers the permanence of marriage over the pain of divorce. He says, for the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but now they are holy. You know what he's saying there? If you're a believer and you're married to an unbeliever, stay married and you never know, you might be the one that brings them to Christ and brings your children to Christ. 
But if the unbeliever wants to get out, wants to divorce, wants to leave, what does Paul say? Let them depart. A brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases. I believe that when an unbeliever or even a believer abandons their spouse, there is biblical grounds for divorce. Now, they should try to stay together, but if they can't and one wants to leave. Listen, you can't make anybody stay in a marriage just like you can't make someone get in a marriage. Amen? And if there's someone that you've tried everything, you've tried to seek counseling, you've tried to work it out, and they want to leave, you can't make them stay. And that's what Paul's talking about. He says, let them depart, and then you're not under bondage. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. I believe that uh, abandonment is one of the biblical grounds for divorce. Now, let me say this. There are many different interpretations and teachings about how far do you take abandonment. You know, how far do you take that? I mean, if, if a spouse, you know, gets caught up in drugs and alcohol and, and wastes all the finances away and, and stops, you know, keeping their marriage bond and, and that relationship, is that abandonment? You know what? I'm not going to be the judge of that. You've got to pray about that. You've got to talk to God and I'll give counsel and, and, and give best I can suggestions. But I'll just tell you, there's, this is where it gets sticky because there's so many scenarios. What constitutes abandonment? I think it's important we not judge. But I tell you that that is one, abandonment is one that we see in the scripture. And, and, and where I'm at on it is you can't make, make people stay. You cannot make people stay married. Another one, not only abandonment, is abuse. These are kind of the three A's, if you want to remember them that way. The three biblical A's where God permits divorce. Adultery, abandonment, and abuse. Exodus chapter 21 verse 9 says this. And if, if a man has betrothed her to his son... He shall deal with her according to the custom of daughters. If he takes another wife, he shall not, not diminish or hold back from her her food, her clothing, and her marriage rights. And if he does not do these three things for her, then she shall go out how? Free. This scripture in Exodus, now those of you that are students of the Bible, in this context, we don't have time to go in all of it. This was saying back in that time, if, if a man had a house and he had a servant girl in his house... And his son's like, hey, she's pretty good looking, man. I kind of like her to be my wife. And he chooses to take her as his wife. That he needs to treat her in a God-honoring way. He needs to love her. He needs to protect her. He needs to give her food, clothing, and, and, and keep all the marriage rights. And if he doesn't and he abuses her, she has the right to leave. And she's free. And, and the rabbis and the Jewish culture believed if that was true for a servant girl, then it's certainly true for a free girl. And it's a principle about abuse. I believe abuse by a spouse, whether it's a man or a woman. Now, generally, you know, we hear about a man abusing a woman. But I've heard some stories about women abusing their husbands. Pretty scary ones. It works both ways. But I believe abuse by a spouse is a biblical ground for divorce and then I believe the spouse is, to, is free to remarry after that. We'll get into that in just a moment. I, I, and I know there are people that disagree with this, but I don't believe that God wants anyone to stay in an abusive situation. And I will fight for that. I don't believe that God wants any woman to be smacked around. And that gets me pretty upset. And sometimes maybe it takes separation for a while and maybe some counseling and let's try to get it reconciled. But I, I just personally don't believe, and I, we see scripture in Exodus, that God wants people to stay in an abusive situation. And I believe it's one of the biblical grounds for divorce. You, you'll have to make your own decision on that. But it's not required. Again, there can be reconciliation. But again, God prefers the permanence of marriage to the pain 
of divorce. Stay married if possible. Seek counseling. Seek forgiveness. So that brings us to this question. When is it okay to get remarried after being divorced? That takes us to principle number five. If there are three grounds for divorce biblically, when is it okay to get remarried? Number five, in situations where divorce is permissible, I believe that remarriage is permissible. In situations where biblically, just like we've seen, adultery, abuse, and abandonment, where God allows for the divorce, I believe God allows for remarriage. Now, I will tell you, there are people that will disagree with that, interpret this different. I respect them. That's okay. I'm just telling you what I believe and what I see in Scripture. Now, I think we can all agree that remarriage is clearly allowed after someone's spouse dies. We don't have any problem with that. Most people have no problem with that. Romans 7.3 is a definitive scripture you can look at later about that. But scholars, if you study this out, and what was going on 2,000 years ago in that Jewish culture, scholars on every side of the divorce and remarriage debate agree that it was a given for first century Jews that remarriage was a valid option after a valid biblical divorce. It was agreed. It wasn't debated. It was actually even expected. That was the whole reason for the biblical grounds for divorce, so that that person could get remarried. Key phrases that we've seen are like in Exodus 21.9, when it's in the case of abuse, it says, you know, they can get the divorce and then they're free. Free to what? Free to be remarried. They're not bound to that marriage anymore. In that, in that case of, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, if someone abandons the marriage, they leave the marriage and, and they just won't stay married and they, they get divorced, what did Paul say? That person that is left, that tried to keep it together, is not under bondage. Not under bondage of what? The marriage anymore. They're free to get remarried. They tried to work it out, tried to get the person to stay, but they wouldn't. They're not under bondage. And Jesus even, in Matthew 19, the exception clause, where he says, you know, if you get divorced, you marry another, commit adultery, except when it's adultery. He's saying then it's, it's not wrong. I think this is really, again, I'm going to tell you, this is my opinion on this. This is why I think this is really important people understand that when there's biblical grounds for divorce, there's biblical grounds for remarriage. And I know there are people that will teach this differently, and there's churches that will say, you know, no matter what or how it happened, it was okay to, here's what some churches will say, it's okay to get divorced, but it's not okay to get remarried, no matter how it happened. I think that's very dangerous theology, because you know what a lot of people are doing today that have been, that have been told that? Because if you get remarried, even though you have biblical grounds for divorce, you're going to commit adultery. Here's the danger of that. You know what a lot of people are doing? Well, then we'll just live together, and then we'll be okay. Is that what God wants? No. Two wrongs don't make a right because God prefers the permanence of marriage. He wants people to be married and glorify God through their marriage. Can we agree? Say yes. I need you all to agree on something. You all are really quiet right now. It makes me nervous. I need some encouragement. Come on. I'm like on the 10-yard line trying to push it in. I mean, oh, thank you. <laughs> I, I, that's my heart on this. And, and, and it's sad that I talk to sometimes people that feel so guilty. You know, they had biblical grounds for divorce, and then they're thinking about getting remarried, but somebody told them, if you do, you're committing adultery. But it was biblical grounds. I just believe, I believe that if there's biblical grounds for divorce, you're free, and there's biblical grounds for remarriage because God wants people to be married. That's what Paul talked about in 1 Corinthians 7. It's better to marry than burn. He's talking about burn with lust and passion. And so, so I, that's where I'm at on that. After a legitimate divorce, I believe there's freedom to remarry. Now, what if the divorce was not on biblical grounds? What if it was not because of adultery, 
abuse, or abandonment. Then what is a person supposed to do? Then are they free to get remarried or not? Okay, this is where it gets really sticky. Let me give you what I see as biblically as I can. Number six, when divorce is not permissible, any remarriage other than to your original spouse being reconciled is not permissible according to Scripture. What did Jesus say in Mark chapter 10, verse 11 and 12? He said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if a woman divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. If it's just for any old reason, that's what Jesus says. And again, he says it in Matthew 19, 9. And I say, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. And whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery. Jesus is, I believe, clearly saying here, I don't know how else to interpret this. If you are illegitimately divorced, it wasn't on biblical grounds, the remarriage is also illegitimate. Now let me say this, that doesn't mean you're not really divorced. It doesn't mean you're not really remarried. The just question is, should you have? Should you have? And then that brings up this question. What should someone do who wrongfully, unbiblically divorced someone? Well, number one, if you can reconcile, if that person hasn't gotten remarried, there's still hope, get counseling, seek for reconciliation, and I've seen that happen. We've all seen it happen. So if you got divorced and there wasn't a biblical reason and you can reconcile, then reconcile, amen? If that's what God would want, get, try. Now, that, that takes two to agree to that. But let's say someone got divorced. It wasn't for biblical causes of abuse, adultery, or abandonment. And then they went ahead and got remarried. Now what? Number seven. Unbiblical divorced and remarried people should stay married. But seek forgiveness for their unbiblical divorce. Listen, folks. I wrestled so much with number seven. To be true and faithful to scripture, but be filled with grace as much as possible. And this is the best way I know how to put it. It's the best way scripture puts it. And this is where things get really messy. But here's the deal. If someone got divorced and it was for unbiblical reasons and they got remarried and maybe they shouldn't, does God want them now to divorce that person? No. Because God prefers the permanence of marriage over the pain of divorce. Two wrongs don't make a right. Stay married. Make that marriage work for God's glory. And let me say this. Listen, loud and clear. If you haven't heard anything else, hear this. I do not believe, as some teach, with respect, I do not believe that divorce, even if it was unbiblical, and remarriage, even if it was unbiblical, I do not believe that is the unpardonable sin. It is not the unpardonable sin. You know what my Bible tells me as a man? If I even look on a woman and lust in my heart, I've committed adultery. Does that make me forever an adulterer? No. I confess it. I make it right. And I pray to God I don't do it again. I do not believe that divorce and remarriage, even in unbiblical cases, is some unpardonable, unforgivable sin. I believe that 1 John 1, 9, it says, if we confess our sins, 
He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. All. It, it doesn't say some. It doesn't say most. It doesn't say except for divorce. No. Is an unbiblical divorce wrong? Yes. Is it a sin? Yes. Is it forgivable? Absolutely. Absolutely. And move on. I do not believe that an unbiblical divorce and an unbiblical remarriage locks anybody into perpetual adultery. There are some that teach that. I don't believe that. I believe it needs to be made right with God. It needs to be confessed. And then move on. Confess it to the Lord. Confess the mistake. And seek God's incredible mercy, grace, forgiveness, and blessing on the marriage you're in. Amen? And God will bless it. You don't, I don't believe you have some black curse over your marriage forever. But maybe the person wasn't even a Christian when they got divorced and remarried. Can we hold them accountable? They, they didn't even know God. They didn't even know the scriptures. Maybe it was a Christian, but maybe they were ignorant of the teaching. Maybe no one ever told them. Maybe they saw, or maybe they did know and they did it. Then confess it and make it right. And make the most of the current marriage you're in for God's honor and for God's glory. And can I say this? Some of the most amazing, most God-honoring marriages that I know of today are people who went through a divorce and got remarried. And they have, they have had a marriage now that has been together for many years. And you could look at that marriage and go, that's a God-honoring marriage. Amen? Some of them are sitting in this room right now this morning. Even though they at one time went through a divorce and got remarried. Whether it was biblical grounds or unbiblical grounds. But it's obvious that marriage is glorifying and honoring God. And we should praise God for that. Now in closing, let me say a few things. To the married people in here this morning who are in your first marriage, make it your last marriage. Stay married. And I think we should celebrate marriage this morning. Celebrate those marriages. Let's celebrate. And, and let me say this to those of you that are married. What does Jesus say? Stay married. Don't look for any reason to try to get out. Look for all the reasons to stay together. Even if you have an unbiblical reason, pray that through God's grace and his mercy and his hope, your marriage can be saved. Some of you here this morning, your marriages may be hanging by a thread. You may be considering divorce, and you may even have biblical grounds. But do everything you can. And you know what? It takes two, but you do your part. And pray that God will do Something in your spouse's heart and life to do their part. But try to keep them married. Listen, if you need help, get help. We have a counseling ministry here in our church. We have a care pastor, a Dr. Randall. He is on staff. He is, since he has been here in two years, we've already seen dozens of marriages saved for God's glory. Reconciled, brought back together, made stronger. Let us help you. Let us help you. It may seem like the easy way out, but divorce is never the easy way out. It's painful. It's painful for you. It's painful for your family. It's painful if you have kids. Do everything you can to keep it together. And listen, married people, those of you that got a good marriage, you go, my marriage is great. It's doing great. I'm not worried about this. Listen, you got to keep it great. 
Don't take it for granted. Good marriages don't happen by accident. Stay married. Invest in your marriage. Spend time with your spouse. You know, go through small groups and do things to encourage you to have a great marriage. To the married people, stay married. Because God prefers the permanence of marriage to you going through the pain of divorce. And to those of you here this morning who are divorced and you had biblical grounds, maybe you experienced adultery, abuse, or abandonment, can I say from the bottom of my heart this morning, I am so sorry. I am so sorry. I've seen the pain that divorce causes. I haven't experienced it myself, praise God, but I've seen the pain and I'm sorry, and I want you to know, as a church, as a staff, as a leadership, we do not judge you. We love you, and we accept you, and we want to help you in any way we can. Amen, church? We want you here. To those of you that may be divorced, and maybe after this morning you go, maybe I shouldn't have. Maybe I didn't have biblical grounds. We love you, too. And we accept you too. And we're here to help you in any way we can. To point you to the God that forgives. And is ready to forgive. Listen to this verse, Psalm 86.5. For you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive and abundant in mercy to all those who call upon you. Don't you love that verse, church? That's what we want to point people to. We're not here to judge you and condemn you. But if maybe you made a mistake, you've made a wrong decision, maybe you just realize it, just confess it. God's ready to forgive. And don't let Satan cause you to carry that guilt. Move on for the glory of God. If we can help you, maybe you, you got divorced and you say, I, I, you know, it wasn't a biblical reason. Maybe I need to try to reconcile. At least give it a try. We're here to help you. Please talk to us. Give us a call. We'll help you in any way we can. To those who have gone through maybe an unbiblical divorce and even an unbiblical remarriage. We love and we accept you too and God will forgive. And the best thing I could say to you is make the most of the marriage you're in. Make this one count. Make this one work. Amen, church? Make it work because God prefers the permanence of marriage to the pain of divorce. And in closing, if you're here today, and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, listen, marriage was God's idea. He's got to be at the center of it. What did Jesus say? What God has brought and joined together, let not man separate. But for God to be the center of that marriage and bring it together and to be the glue that holds that marriage together, God has got to be the center of your life. And that starts by you accepting Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. And if you've never made that decision, I hope you'll make that decision before you leave today. Ask Jesus to come into your life as your Lord and Savior by faith and ask him to give you a marriage that he blesses and that he is honored and glorified through. Let's pray.